Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is why great prospects don't become customers with Zach Ramirez. Welcome, Zach. Hey, thanks for having me, Joe. Really excited to be on today. Yes, yes, yes. This is a great topic. I've known Zach, I don't know, I'm thinking uh, at least six, seven, eight months. Ryan Schreiber introduced us. Zach is right here in Michigan, so I always like talking to people from Michigan. It feels like the whole rest of the logistics world is somewhere else, so it's always nice to talk to someone from the Great Lakes states. <laughs> it centers around us, doesn't it, Joe? <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. So, Zach, please introduce yourself and your company and where you live. Yeah, for sure. So, again, my name is Zach Ramirez, and I'm the sales and marketing director at Ally Logistics. Ally is a full truckload broker based in Beer City, USA, Grand Rapids, Michigan. So as myself, I live in Grand Rapids with my wife and two daughters with our third baby on the way, actually, in January. Oh, nice. Yeah, so that's a fun thing upcoming here. Yeah, I don't think it's funny when you say Grand Rapids, Beer City. My younger daughter went to school in Grand Rapids at Aquinas College and Great college. And so I started going to Grand Rapids all the time. I'm about an hour and 45 minutes from there. I'm in the Detroit area. What a cool city. And then they got all these breweries that popped up. And which is, if you're from Michigan, you would always kind of know, like as soon as you get to the western part of Michigan, it's beautiful, nice people. But it was always like dry counties and, <laughs> <laughs> and very religious. And you're like, and now all of a sudden they're like, where's well, Beer City? <laughs> well, that is definitely no longer dry counties around here. So, yeah. Still very nice people. And I'll tell you, you can't find a better place on earth than Grand Rapids in summertime and in fall. The problem is fall turns into winter over there. And it, <laughs> and it is worse than... so. It's, again, two hours away from Detroit, but it seems as if the weather is much worse because you're on the uh, Lake Michigan. And Lake Michigan is beautiful in the summer and nasty in the winter. <laughs> well, we don't want to think about it quite yet, but it is upcoming. <laughs> right. So thanks for the reminder. <laughs> it is the perfect place right now. Anyway, I'm looking forward to doing this podcast again. The podcast today is why great prospects don't become customers. But before we get to that, Zach, tell us a little bit about your career, some career highlights. Where'd you go to school and how'd you get into logistics? Yeah, yeah. So that's uh, quite the interesting story, I would say. I actually come from a background in recording engineering. So I did a program through UC Berkeley. And that actually led me into sales as a career. So I tell a lot of people, I, I feel like, my first jump into a sales career was actually in a touring band, selling merch on the road. And that led me down into the wonderful world of marketing. So I spent some time first at a major shipper and distributor in the Grand Rapids area called Gordon Food Service, which is what introduced me to the logistics world. Are they based over there? They are. Yeah, they're actually just a couple miles down the street from us here. They've got all sorts of shops. Big stores, like they're kind of almost, almost like Costco. Yeah, 100%. So yeah, that really opened my eyes to a different side of logistics. 
And from Gordon Food Service, I actually started to work in video strategy with a local video strategist in the Grand Rapids area. So yeah, my career started really with a major shipper and distributor headquartered here in Grand Rapids called Gordon Food Service. That really gave me my first look and peer into logistics. From Gordon's Food Service, I actually started work with a video strategy company in Grand Rapids. And that just kind of continued that love for marketing, that passion for marketing that I have. And through that video strategy company, I actually found myself here at Ally. So that's kind of the short nutshell version of my path. Nice, nice. So it's nice to find people who've come from a little different background in logistics because we talked quite a bit about this offline is this move towards marketing that we've kind of skipped a little bit in this business. We were always that direct to make a hundred phone calls kind of industry. And now slowly but surely we're being dragged into the new world of we need marketing. And we all know this, the guys who are from Silicon Valley, they are web natives. They didn't come from banging the phones. They said, Hey, we're going to build websites. We're going to do SEO and all this other stuff. But we'll get into that in a minute. First off, Today's topic is why great prospects don't become customers. And I had a really good conversation, a few good conversations with Zach about this over the last six months or a year. And when we were prepping for this, we had some great conversations. So we're going to have those now. Zach, what is one of the first reasons people who are great prospects don't become customers? Yeah. So I think one of the first reasons why great prospects don't become customers is not following through on your brand promises. So to me, this is the number one trust killer in the customer buy cycle. So an example that I use of this is, you know, there's a phrase tossed around in the logistics industry a lot where we service the hell out of our freight. And we know from hearing from shippers that that isn't always the case, right? There's certain brokers that will fall flat on their pricing or their service after a three-month period, leaving that shipper kind of stranded. And that's a perfect example of not following through on a promise that you made to a customer. Yep, yep. And you know, when we were talking about this flying, I brought up this idea of FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. I did a podcast not so long ago with Steve Elwell on this. When we put fear and uncertainty and doubt into these You've made some brand promises and this is the value you're going to get from us. And then we undermine it by not doing certain things that make us them fear that they're not going to get them what they need or there's uncertainty or there's doubt. And it's, it's little things that we do, right? So my website doesn't say that I perform this service and I told you I specialize in that. That's going to undermine that. Whatever promise was made, if you don't follow up on a meeting where you say, we're going to give you an analysis of your freight, we're going to come back here and you're going to be blown away. And then you get back and they're like, this is nothing, right? I could have done this on the back of a napkin. Yeah, for sure. And to me, I think that comes back to how are you actually gaining buy-in from top-level employees, executives, CEOs, owners, all the way down to the seat level? Because if there's an inconsistency that exists within a client interacting with your team, then to me, that is providing them with a, an exit in that buying cycle. So, And you know, what's also interesting to me is we're all, we're all online all day. You know, we're on our phone, we're always looking. And 
a lot of times, so Zach, if you were calling me, if you're calling on me on Friday, I'm all week maybe just looking at your website, checking this out, checking that out, looking at your LinkedIn profile. So I have kind of an expectation, more so than I might have in the past, because I've been snooping around looking at your digital footprint. And if you come in and you say things that don't align to that, I go, you know, Zach, you say all these things, but that's not what your website said, (laughs) right? (laughs) Yeah, a great example. And in the marketing world, I love talking about different brands and how those actually affect us, right? So two sides of the spectrum. So Radio Shack, as an example. Radio Shack's like brand promise is you've got questions, we've got answers. And I don't know if anyone's ever been inside of a Radio Shack store, but a lot of times you're not necessarily getting the answers. So that's like a simple example of, of how a brand might not be fulfilling the promise. But then on the other side of the spectrum, one of the most influential brands that we've seen in the past 20 years has been Apple. And their brand mantra is think different. And whether or not you're an Android person or an Apple person, if you're holding a computer or a phone or any piece of technology, it's probably been influenced by Apple's innovative thinking. So those are kind of like two spectrums that I like to use when I explain brand promises. Right. Not so long ago, I had my friend Chip, and we talked in the podcast, the logistics of building a brand. And he said, your brand has to be three things. It has to be relevant, you know, relevant to the customer. So if you're making brand promises, and you're, it has to be relevant, whatever it is. Saying something that they go, I don't care about that. You know, saying, we've got the very best softball team in logistics. Nobody says, I don't care. <laughs> right. right. But um, you have to have something relevant to the customer. You have to actually be able to own that. I promised it. Now I can do it. And that has to be differentiating. And so what we're talking about here is, I think this brand promises, is it actually ownable? Am I actually walking the walk? Right. That's exactly right. So that's the first one, not following through on your brand promises. Let's talk about the second one. And the second one is? No separation between you and your competitor. So one of the things, and again, this kind of hits back on the branding element, but what are you doing to communicate some of those intangibles of your company? Because we all know that price is is always going to be a part of the conversation when you're talking with a customer, right? And to me, those intangibles are the brand. So how are you making that customer feel when they onboard onto your company? How are you making them feel a year into the relationship? And some of the things that we can unite around are brand pillars, brand promises, cornerstone values, right? How are we driving this forward from day one all the way through the life cycle of customer? Yeah, I like that. And you know, it is interesting. Shippers always say it's got to be the right service, it's got to be the right price. Most good shippers these days recognize that I don't want necessarily the cheapest price if it's not going to be a solid service. If I can't count on you, I don't care. So you will hear people say, well, I'm working with Zach because we get a good price, but we get great service. And yeah, I could find somebody lower. And I think it's partly, you got to be able to kind of sell that and actually live to it. And what always kills me, and I think about this all the time, one time I worked with a customer that was a little different. They wanted truckload and you had to beat, they wouldn't give me all the business. 
<laughs> so they said, yeah, you still have to compete on load for load. So every time I win a lane, I would have to chase around to find the right carrier for it. And it was not a good price for them. And so I remember having to work with some carriers that were outside of my normal network and they dropped the ball. And I remember thinking, this isn't worth it. I can't, <laughs> I can't live like this, you know? <laughs> so I kept thinking, I'm working with kind of a less than carrier and they dropped the ball. I didn't get the right price. So who won in that? The shipper lost, I lost, and my carrier lost. Yeah. And one thing that I drive home with my sales reps, even still today, is are you prepared to explain the why behind your price? Because ultimately, a shipper came to us to try to solve a solution in their logistics and supply chain, right? And if we provide them with a price that says, hey, we can confidently service you in this, are you prepared to explain the why behind that? If the why is, hey, I'm going to build a team around you that isn't going to drop the ball, that is going to be ready when there is a problem that arises, that to me is a why. And that speaks to culture and that speaks to part of the brand rather than just saying, well, our price is 10% higher because we slap 10% margin on it. I think there's a big difference there. Right, right. But you have to somehow explain why, you know, when you work with us, we don't work with less than carriers. We're not going to force our carriers into a position where they can't do the right thing by uh, not servicing their trucks or doing the other things that's required to stay in business. I don't think we have a problem like that right now in this COVID market, but we've definitely seen at other times when the margins start getting real lean, everybody starts having to cut corners. So we don't want that. So that's number two. So the first one you had was not following through on your brand promises and killing trust and again, FUD. Number two, no separation between you and your competitor, which kind of, again, drives you to a price only thing. And one other thing before we leave this one, I'm a big believer that you should specialize and find something that you go, we do this better than everybody else. So the reason you work with us is because I already work with two or three of the competitors that you work with. I mean, if I'm already working with your competitor, so uh, you say you're a retailer and I work with your retail competitors, you're going to know that I understand this business real well. And I think having that specialization is really important. Right, for sure. I think there was a podcast that Dooner did. Maybe this was Dooner and Hill, but niches have riches, right? And now that Kevin did that over here. <laughs> okay, that was on here. So I love that. And I think that still rings true. And that's something that I try to drive home with my sales reps is we're not going to go back to the blanket pricing strategy on a bid ever again. We're going to figure out truly what we can service and service to the best of our ability. And then that's what we're going to send out to the customer. And I think there's certainly stigma that still exists between brokers and shippers where, you know, I think there's a little bit of trust that needs to be built back up in that sense. So, yep. So what's the third reason that great prospects don't become customers? Yes. The third reason is I think there exists a silo between marketing and sales teams. And I think this is a huge pitfall. So if you have a marketing and sales team that are siloed, there's not going to be any alignment. There's not going to be any collaboration. And at the end of the day, to me, that equals no calculated growth 
for your sales team as a whole. So, you know, I think does hit back on FUD, right? Fear, uncertainty, and doubt. If we don't have alignment between a website, what a website preaches and says, and what my salespeople are saying on cold calls or cold emails, then immediately you're creating a barrier to entry for a customer. Right. So red flags. <laughs> yes, huge red flags. And I think we need better ways to integrate sales and marketing teams. Because what those salespeople are facing day to day on the floor, if the marketing team has no clue what those pinch points are, then they're not going to actually create marketing material that helps those salespeople get over those obstacles. So I kind of relate this to, I think there's a stigma that exists where it's like, those are the creatives. Like our creatives don't necessarily mesh with the boots on the ground. Right. I think we need to fix that. Like, yeah. Yeah. You know, when we were prepping for this, I mentioned our buddy, Adam Robinson, who's now over at uh, Sonar at Freightwaves, when he joined Sarasis and he did such a great job on the marketing over there. But when he got there, he interviewed everybody he could talk to. So all the employees, they had 40 some employees, he interviewed everybody about what's going on. And so when he started creating marketing materials and branding and all that other stuff, he knew what the problems were. And when I brought that up to you, Zach, you said something and she said, yeah, I make sure every week I make cold calls. So you're uh, walking a mile in your customer's shoes, your internal customers, which is your sales guys. For sure. Yeah, I mean, that's something that I stand by because I never want to lose a pulse with what my salespeople are actually facing. And with my role specifically, I head up the marketing efforts of Ally, but I also am the one that hands out KPIs and numbers to my salespeople. And if I lose touch with what rebuttals they're facing on a sales call or what pain points they're facing day in and day out, then I don't know that I have the right to necessarily follow. Right, you lost a moral authority there. Right, exactly. (laughs) So that's just something that I commit to every single week. Even if it's 20, 30 calls, I want to maintain that feeling week to week. Yeah, it's real easy to get disconnected. And I think one of the challenges we have is Marketing is always kind of very outside of the normal business that we do. So you think about the ops guys, they have, you know, get trucks, move freight. Then you have the sales guy. Those guys all have direct line to senior management. In a lot of companies, marketing, it's the odd man out. And that's a problem because it needs to be as just as important as the sales effort and as the operations effort and make sure that we're getting that alignment that we need. For sure. Yeah, and I think a way to kind of boil that down, especially for, you know, maybe there's transportation providers or brokers who haven't really broken into figuring out what their marketing strategy is. I look at our marketing at Ally as a salesperson, right? Whatever budget, whatever effort we put behind our marketing, assign it KPIs as well. Like, what do you want to see out of it? If you don't give something a target, you're definitely not going to hit in an area that you want to hit. So, you know, I think there's some very simple ways that you can boil that down and start to see some ROI out of marketing. So number three, the big problem you see is a lack of integration, a lack of alignment with sales and marketing. And more and more, we got to get sales and marketing on the same page. My friendship, again, I bring him up. He was outside branding agency, marketing agency. And he said, big push at Ludwig is to 
market to your internal team. Say, this is what we're good at. This is what we're specialized in. So they don't walk out and kind of be off message. You have to have that alignment because more and more, we are looking at websites. And if your sales guy says something different than your website, you're causing some red flags in your customers' minds. For sure. I think that internal marketing is a huge portion and actually a really great place to start if you're new to taking part in marketing within your own business. Because the moment you can gain buy-in from a sales rep or an ops guy or a carrier sales rep, inspire them to do more with the services or the service offerings that you have as a company, then you're actually creating marketers within your company, right? They're going to start naturally bringing some of this material out and sharing it out into the ether. So to me, that's like how you can expand your reach in a really organic way. Internally market, inspire the people that are in the seats, and then help them drive your message home to the clients. Love it. Love it. So Zach, give us one more problem that you see out there that is causing great prospects to not become customers. Yeah. The last barrier that I see is that customer onboarding isn't tailored to the customer's needs. So an example that I use is a mom and pop shop with a couple employees is definitely not going to respond well to a 12-step onboarding process. Although I think major manufacturers, you know, maybe an automotive manufacturer, that might be exactly what they need in the funnel. So if you're not thinking through what day one is going to look like for prospective client, then I think you've already missed the mark. Oh, that is good. I never thought of it that way. I always think in terms of I want a really solid onboarding process. But if you're a small company, you're working with a small mom pond, they go, Oh, no, please don't get bureaucratic with us. We're too busy for that, right? But to your point, if you're working with an automotive supplier and it's going to be a lot of shipments and a lot of coordination, they want to see it. They want to see a you assigned a project manager, you're having some meetings, and I always say onboarding for a larger customer. I say assign a project manager, get a sponsor mm-hmm. for this project. People really give short change to that sometimes. And it's a real problem because if they don't start right, they're never going to be a good customer. That's my experience. You have three or four bad shipments in the first week and they go, these guys suck. I hate working with them. (laughs) No, 100%. And I think day one of a customer journey is really what sets the tone for day 365 and so on and so forth. Because if I set the tone with a major manufacturer or a mom and pop shop from day one that says, hey, regardless of if this call takes 10 minutes or if it takes an hour and a half, I'm committing time to making sure that we see success in what we've promised you. And that's really what it comes back to is setting that tone from day one and saying, hey, we're going to be in the driver's seat and we're going to take ownership over your experience with us. I love that. And so when I think about onboarding, that means you sold the owner of the company or the logistics manager, whoever you sold, now sell everybody else in the process and understand their unique needs. Train them. Sometimes what you'll find is maybe the head of purchasing made the decision, but the guys on the dock, they weren't on board or they weren't informed. You got to sell those guys and you got to get them involved because they can, if they're not happy, things don't work right. And 
there has to be the right level of training. Everyone has to get their password. There's technology integration. You got to make sure that happens. I can't stress this enough. The problem so often is they never got onboarded right. And there's always going to be naysayers to Zach. So if I sold your account and Zach was never quite on board, he didn't like Joe and he didn't like Joe's company. And then on the second day, I screw up. Now Zach's wandering around going, I told you guys, that guy's no good. We should have never done this. And all of a sudden, we talked about that fear, uncertainty, and doubt. It's back. (laughs) It's back. And And Zach is going, we should go back to the old guys. And everyone's going to want to listen, right? Right. A hundred percent. And I think I never want to leave anything up to assumption on my customer side, right? If I have to say, oh, well, I assume that they know to reach out to my account manager for X, Y, and Z. That's a big no-no, right? We don't ever want to let that happen because that means that there's been a gap in communication from day one. So if we set those expectations and give our customers pathways to success, no matter if it's a problem or if it's a celebration, then to me, what that ultimately ends up doing is it actually leaves you more time to be relational with your customers rather than always chasing your tail or chasing a problem. Yeah, yeah, be proactive. And you know, there's another thing that happens a lot of times is if the sales guy who is, say, he's the A-team, right? He's taking care of business. He's right on top of this. You've been working with him for six months and finally this is going, we're onboarding. And that guy says, success. And he's off to his next sale and he's not involved. And conversely, the guys on the operations team They weren't part of any of this. They don't know what promises were made. And now they've got this new customer that says, hey, this is going to be great. You're going to do this, this, and this. And they go, oh, well, we really don't do that. That's (laughs) right. And I've had that happen. And it is an awful feeling because Mm -hmm. you feel really betrayed if you're the customer. So you got to get the ops guys involved in the sales process. And the sales guys, there's got to be some overlap. You can't just run off to your new sale. You got to make sure that the customer is taken care of. just to what you said, no assumptions. Let's over-communicate. Right, 100%. Yep. So Zach, this is great stuff. Please give us a summary of this. Talk about those four problems and the solutions to those, and then we'll wrap this bad boy up. Yeah, so just a quick recap here. So the four problems, not following through on your brand promises. So again, this is kind of the number one trust killer. If you don't know what your brand pillars are, your brand promises, or even cornerstone values, I'd encourage you do a quick offsite, whether that's with leadership or if you're a smaller operation, take your team out and say, what are the things that make us different? That relates to number two, which is separate yourself between you and your competitor. So again, if you're in a saturated industry where there's lots of competitors, we are. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Don't reduce yourself to price. Figure out the why behind that price that makes the difference in communicating to your client. The third one is start integrating your marketing and sales teams. And if you don't have a marketing team, what you can start integrating with a sales team is asking the why behind some of the obstacles that they face in the pipeline and then start to tailor marketing materials to it. The moment you have alignment between your marketing and sales team is the moment that you can start mitigating losses and replicating wins in the pipeline. And then the last one, which we just talked about, is customer onboarding. 
make sure that you're tailoring your onboarding experience from day one to the type of customer that exists in your funnel. And I think a really practical way of starting this is actually figuring out like what are your tiers of customers. So if you have the the large tier customers, the the enterprise, yeah. Right. Yeah, the giants. Okay, that might be one tier. You might have a lengthier process for onboarding. Then what are you doing for your mid-tier? How are you tailoring that so that it makes them feel known in that onboarding process and makes them feel set up for success? And then lastly, that last year, that mom pop shop, what do they need to keep rolling, to keep scaling, to be a part of their growth through that life cycle? So yeah, I think that it up. That's great. That's great. I do appreciate this. I tell you, we cannot go over some of this enough because this is a weak spot in our industry. We are traditionally not marketing people and it is all new. And I think even people like you who are a professional marketer, and I spend a lot of time in it myself, it's mostly failure. When you talk about sales marketing, we lose most of the fish, right? We uh, get them to nibble, but we can't get them in the boat. So talking about it, thinking about it, working on it is a never-ending process. I agree 100%. (laughs) So, Zach, before we go, please tell us a little bit about what's going on over at Ally Logistics in Grand Rapids. Yeah, so at Ally this year, a big thing for us has actually been investing in technology and continuing to bolster and help our sales reps have success in what has been a very you know tumultuous year of 2020. So we've been investing in technology that can help us source carriers better, help us vet our carriers better to truly build a network that we can stand behind. And then along with that, a lot of what we're talking about today is really focusing in on some of that marketing that can help our customers feel secure in the sales pipeline. So our onboarding process is something that we focused in on this year. And yeah, I think that would really be the highlights. Yeah. And you know what? When we think about marketing, we think about it going for new customers. And what you're saying is we're helping to drive out some of the I don't know if it's distrust is the right word, uncertainty. Mm. So if you keep marketing to your existing customers and people who are in the process, you know, assuring them that this is not just talk or we're going to make this happen just the way we've talked about. Yeah. Yep. Well, Zach, this has been great. Thank you so much. It's always nice to talk to another Michiganian or Michigander. I'm never sure what we've became. I think we're Michiganians or I'm not sure. <laughs> but, Michigander? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Michigander, is that it now? I think so. That's like the duck. I'm not so sure I like that. But anyway, thank you so much for being on my podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Joe. It's always fun talking marketing. And yeah, you have a great rest of your afternoon. Thank you so much. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your continued support is very much appreciated. Until next time, Onward and Upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversations with experts in the logistics field. If you're an expert and would like to be featured on the Logistics of Logistics podcast, please email Joe Lynch at joe at the logisticsoflogistics.com.